Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. I'm barefoot, my absolute favorite thing. I reach down with one toe, just my big toe, to give us the barest little push to keep the swing going. I feel tiny grains of dirt on the porch floor as my toe kisses against them. The extra length of the swing's chain clanks against the chain that supports the swing hanging taut from the porch ceiling. How long has this swing been here? We have never once had to fix it or adjust it or anything. Not like the old wooden swing outside with its long ropes hanging from a high sturdy branch of the giant pine. We have had to fix that swing a million times. This is G.P. Gottlieb, host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today I'm talking to Barbara Monier, author of The Rocky Orchard. From the moment we meet Maisie pushing the porch swing, the one that never needs fixing, we are pulled into her memories At first, it seems like a coming-of-age story. We hear about Maisie's first party at age 13 with no grown-ups and her first boyfriend, who's in love with her and already planning their future. Then Maisie looks up from the porch swing and sees an older woman. She offers a glass of water, and the two women begin meeting every morning to play cards and talk. Maisie, always gazing at the orchard, begins to wonder why she's swamped with these memories from so long ago. Hi, Barbara. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much, Philippe, for having me on to interview me about my book. This is actually the first podcast I've done for The Rocky Orchard, so thank you. So how did you come to write The Rocky Orchard? You know, I think it has a pretty... um, interesting and unusual what I like to call origin story because of course all books stories works of art start somewhere this actually started with the location and the rest of it um, was inspired from that but strangely enough when I was recovering from surgery about a year and a half ago and it was about the third week I would say I was feeling enough better that I was back to life and mostly myself and I started thinking you know this might actually be the first time in my life and I'm 64 years old this might be the first time where I have really had no responsibilities nothing I need to be doing other than healing. And um, that's a first. And I was so taken with that idea, I started thinking, what if there was such a place? What if such a place existed where people could just, or somebody, people or a person could be, and just really be there? What would that be like? What would happen? What would they think? And it struck me that that's a place I wanted to create. Um, so really the book began with a location and once I had the location, I thought, okay, so now I've got this place roughly in mind, who's going to be there? And it pretty quickly came to me for whatever reasons that it was going to be a young woman. 
And somehow it then pretty quickly came to me. I thought, okay, I, I know why she's there. And the rest of the book sort of took shape around that. But it really did begin with the idea of a location, which I think is pretty unusual. Mm-hmm. Well, I need to take a little detour, but this is about location because just before we started this interview, no, 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 it was when you told me for the bio that you live in Chicago, and it turns out that we live about four blocks away from each other, although we've never met in Chicago. Okay, so, uh, and I also learned that you came to Chicago 30 or so years ago via Hollywood. So could you tell us a little bit about that? I originally studied way back when um, I studied writing and film were both in the same department where I mainly went to school, which was the University of Michigan. So I was able to study. I always wanted to write. I thought I wanted to work in film. So when I graduated, I moved to Hollywood and pursued the idea that I would, which was such a fantasy in so many ways, but my idea was that I would do some work in film production um, as a paying job and that that would give me time, take a project here, then take some time off, take a project here. And in the in-between times, I would work on my writing and pursue my writing. So sounded really good on paper. What I found out pretty quickly was that I hated working in film production. It turns out there's a world of difference between loving movies um, in, in every way and working in the making and in the production of movies. And I just really didn't like it. So went back to things that concentrated mainly on my writing, got into the literary agenting world, um, still in Hollywood, and then ended up moving here to Chicago and working in various arts organizations. Ah. Uh, okay, so um, so now let's get back to the story. Now that we have some background, it opens with Maisie, your protagonist, sitting on a porch swing, recalling her first girl boy party, and she sees an old woman coming out of the rocky orchard. Why does Maisie start telling stories to the woman? Well, she's a little bit confused about that herself. Um, this woman is literally, and she's she's pictured as being quite elderly. She's leaning heavily on a cane or a walking stick. And Maisie's uh, 26, 27 years old. And Maisie has, has uh, understands herself to be a, a fairly fearful and trepidatious person and uh this woman is trespassing on her property and yet she finds herself sort of curious and drawn to her and as the woman continues walking through her orchard Maisie's orchard every day uh, Maisie finds herself sort of unexpectedly comfortable and looking forward to this woman coming along and just finds herself having stories um, come to mind about various things that have taken place with Maisie and her family at this location, which is her, Maisie's family's um, sort of 
second home in the country, but it's meant to be very sort of ramshackle, not not a fancy place. And mm-hmm. as I said, Maisie herself is a little surprised. She's she's wondering why she's talking to Lula so openly, but she. I sort of think of it as as um, it's an unexpected friendship, but one of those times we've all hopefully experienced where you just, you know, you're at a party or a large gathering and there's just that one person that you just, it just clicks with. You just gravitate towards them and there's a comfort level there and it just sort of flows and um, gets her over, gets Maisie over her initial suspiciousness and allows her to kind of sort of think of herself a little differently because she's so comfortable with the older woman whose name is Lula. I was wondering if you were saying something about the relationship between youth and old age. Absolutely, yes. Uh, youth and old age, um, any sort of a friendship, partnership, which transcends um, the usual ideas we have about similarity, that there needs to be a certain amount of similarity for meaningful uh, friendships, relationships to take place, meaningful to people for any one of a number of reasons, but uh, that they can go well outside the boundaries of what we might expect, and that we you know, would do well to be open to those. Mm-hmm. Well, so Barbara, I, I admit that I Googled you and learned that your day job is as a clinical social worker with um, a three decade long established practice. So my question is, how do you convert your real life understanding of human nature into your writing? Uh, good question. They actually happened in the other order in that I was writing and studying the arts and pursuing the arts before my journey into in a different direction into graduate school um, and, you know, subsequent work for 32 years now as a clinical social worker. But it's almost more that I brought my sensibilities in a lot of ways as an artist into my clinical practice. And at the end of the day, I would say they're, they're pretty related more than you might think at first glance, because they are both about either when I'm writing, trying to express uh, certain things about the human condition in ways that if I'm very, very lucky and do a good job, can have meaning to other people and help them think differently, understand their own lives and enjoy themselves. Really doing therapy is the same thing. I'm helping other people um, understand what's gotten in the way or what's not working quite the way they want it to in terms of living their own fullest life, expressing their own fullest selves. Um, But it's almost like a turnaround of the same sort of thing is what does it mean to be a human being and how do we express that and how do we help other people express their own um, best ways of doing that. And I'm realizing I'm sounding like a almost maybe a ponderously serious person 
And I, so I just want to say in my own defense, this of the books that I've written, this was the hardest for me to write in a lot of ways. One of the hardest things is it's not funny. And I tend to really rely on humor, use a lot of humor in my life, in my practice, in my writing. And this book it is a much more, uh, or should say a much less relying on humor, um, which was hard for me because I think I can be kind of hilarious, but not so much in this particular book. <laughs> mm. Maisie seems to move seamlessly back and forth into her memories about the past as she, she's playing cards with Lula or refilling water glasses. What does it say to you when someone focuses endlessly on their past? <laughs> well, you know, you're asking a therapist that that's possibly dangerous. I know. <laughs> I, I absolutely think it, um, it can be uh, overdone, let's say. Um, I do think usually when people are focused on their past, it's for reasons that they're really trying to understand something they haven't understood well enough to move on. Um, generally, memories can be cherished treasures, which uh, whether we're young, whether are old, are old can be joyful, joyful parts of our lives, whether they're things that we just think about individually or particularly when they're shared with other people. Shared memories are an enormous source of pleasure. Um, it's also pretty important to live in the present. And we also do well to think about the future. And I do think, you know, to me, a balanced life is being able to be fully present in our present lives and have the joy, um, hopefully joy, not all of our memories are joyful, but they are important parts of our life. And I would say need to be honored and have an eye towards the future that there is life um, ahead of us and life that will come after us, that there needs to be recognition of all of those things, not any one over the other. Uh -huh. there's, a, there's a troubled character in the story who, among other things, threatens suicide. Is Maisie's response typical for someone her age? I think she's about 14 at the time when that happens. Um, there are a lot of things involved in Maisie's reaction to this young man, and this is portrayed as her first real relationship. So it's all brand new to her, and she's making it up as she goes along. And there's definitely a sub-theme in this book of people, and women especially, not being believed. Um, not really being believed when they feel like they perceive danger or they see they, you know, are, are feeling endangered, um, as Maisie does. And she sees this young man differently than everybody else sees him. He's, you know, he's a much revered uh, sort of high school idol. And she doesn't see him that way, but she gets no validation for that. And so she thinks 
she's the one who must be wrong. And yes, I would say that is very typical of all of us, quite frankly, but younger people um, and younger women, I'm going to say in particular, is if we don't get support and validation for how, for what we think we're seeing and, and how we're reading situations, we tend to think, oh, well, I must be wrong. Everybody else thinks he's a great guy. And that is how Maisie responds. And I would say that would be pretty typical. And mm -hmm. I intentionally um, portray it that way. She remembers stealing her mother's car and driving to the orchard. Why, among many memories, why is that such a significant memory to her? I, well, she doesn't understand it at the time. She's having these memories, and and she's no more clear uh, than the reader initially about why am I remembering this. It's she almost feels like she's free associating. Towards the end of the book, um, she comes to understand that everything she's remembering, she's remembering for a reason, because there's there are memories and stories that are telling her something. And that one in particular, I would say is telling her that as, again, I will say as as scared and timid, and she, she views herself as a really kind of weird young girl. That's a memory that tells her that she really had but it's a pretty bold thing to do. She really did have a fair amount of um, boldness and empowerment. Um, it just was something she could never see in herself and needed to really, you know, sort of look at her own life differently to understand herself differently. What do you think she learns from her memories of her father about herself? I think she, as she's like, like most young people, you're in your family. Um, if you're astute, you recognize things about your family, your parents, but you're in the middle of it. You're not really able to have a, a really full understanding of your own situation when you're young and you're still in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. I think she had an awareness that both of her parents are really just sort of um, clueless and absent by and large there's one scene um where she actually feels a little bit sorry for her mother because she recognizes that her mother just really doesn't know how to do good mother stuff her father is a little different because i think she views him more as potentially um dangerous not you know really really dangerous but he's she understands that he's got a temper and that he's sitting on a fair amount of anger and she's more careful with him um she plays him a little bit not because she's a manipulative person but she understands that she uh needs to mm -hmm. let's talk and about her brother 
Yes. Did you have a question or do you want me to I said, Yeah, let's talk about him. Let's talk about what her relationship is with Wu. That's a, that's a, a, a minor, but I would say minor in terms of how much time is devoted to the character of her brother, but really important in that she talks about that she was born looking up to her older brother and just thinking the world of him and wanting to do everything he did and just having that kind of uh, so admiring and um, adoring even of her older brother. And you get the impression that they're teenagers in the period that she's um, thinking about with her first dating relationship with this guy. Her brother ultimately betrays her. He, um, strong word, but she Mm -hmm. ultimately feels like he chooses sides. She decides to break up with this young man that she comes to view as really um, nutty and dangerous. And her brother, this is one of her brother's best friends, and he just doesn't see this, this young guy whose name is Sean. She doesn't see, I'm sorry, her brother doesn't see Sean that way. Um, and really sides against her. And it's a terribly difficult moment. Unlike her parents, who she never sort of expected uh, that they would be there for her, she absolutely counted on her brother and feels that he turns his back on her and um, sides with Sean. Mm-hmm. Maisie's okay. responses to adversity were often... Um, as she's thinking of it, her responses were often to do nothing and, and say nothing. Did you did you ever uh, think about making her respond in a healthier way? And if so, how would that have changed the course of her life? I think she did respond in a healthy way in terms of she broke up with this guy. Um And she broke up, she saw a danger in him that other people around her weren't seeing. And she turned out to be right. Um, So part of, and it's a subtle point in this book, but part of my point is I don't know how much healthier she could have been in the environment she was in. And, and that's part, that, as I said, that is a subtext of the book. If you have parents who aren't really clued in and a brother who's not seeing things the same way, I'm not sure really for as young as she was, because in the book she has her 14th birthday when she's dating this guy. I'm really not sure how much healthier she could have been. Mm. And that the book is meant to say that's not a failure of hers. That's a failure of the people around her. She did the best she could do by seeing clearly into this guy, um, his real character, and breaking up with him. I don't know. You've read the book. Do you have a different idea about that? That's exactly what I thought. Um, she. I didn't think she responded in a healthy way because she kept not saying anything she thought it but she didn't say it and the reason she didn't say it because she knew that they weren't going to respond that nothing would happen that nobody would listen to her so uh, um my last question is uh well i have one more after that but 
I wanted to know how different is this from young women everywhere? How she responded? Well, not very different. And that's, um, again, I I think it's relatively subtle, but I hope it comes out pretty clearly in the book. Um, Towards the end, and I don't think it will be giving anything away, she, one of the things she says to herself is no one, no woman should have to fight that hard to be Mm -hmm. believed. Yeah. And that is something, um, it's not a main thrust of the book, but it's very, very important to me. And it was a message I wanted to have in there. So I read it in one sitting and um, over the weekend, and I'm still thinking about it now. It's a book that stays with you. And I know it's the fourth of the books, fourth of four novels. All of them are novels. Yes. Right. Um, so my question is, what are you working on next? Is there going to be another novel? I think so. Um, I am working on it. And, you know, I have a relatively torturous process of writing books. But, you know, I think it's sort of part of the course going back and forth between feeling like, oh, I think I really have something here. And then the other side of it is, what am I thinking? This is not working. I don't have a single decent idea of what I wrote yesterday. Stop. And that's just kind of the way it is for the entire process for me. Um, I wish it were different. But I, as we were saying earlier, I did move. Um, and I, uh, just five months ago, and I, I'm now in a high rise. So I've been very sort of captivated by this idea of a change in perspective. And I had something um, happen to me, which is going to sound, it was, it's going to sound amazing because it was amazing. I did a reading uh, last fall and of my previous book. Um, This one wasn't out yet, but I did a reading of my previous novel, which is called Pushing the River, and somebody actually flew in to come to that reading and tell me in person that I had made a pivotal difference in their life. Wow. My freshman year of college. Oh, my. That's such a beautiful story. Aside from the fact the person came to hear you speak, remember when people used to get on airplanes to just yes. go somewhere? <laughs> exactly. And gather at readings and, yeah. Right? that's that's another thing when you say you're having trouble focusing in on what what you're writing all of us like remember when people used to gather and talk to each other how do you write books about each of us sitting in our own apartments anyway thank you so much barbara it was so much fun talking to you oh totally my pleasure thank you again for inviting me to interview thank you for joining me Again, this is G.P. Gottlieb, author of the Whipped and Sipped Mystery Series and host of New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, I've been talking with Barbara Monier about her new novel, The Rocky Orchard. If you enjoyed today's podcast and would like to discuss it further with me and other New Books Network listeners, please join us on Shuffle. Shuffle is an ad-free, invite-only network focused on the creativity community. 
As NBN listeners, you can get special access to conversations with a dynamic community of writers and literary enthusiasts. Sign up by going to www.shuffle.do forward slash NBN forward slash join.